the challenge that a lot of us have when it comes to how we relate to God is that we, we want God's deliverance, but we don't want to have to be desperate to get it. We want God's blessing, but we don't want to have to be broken to receive it. And so we approach oftentimes our faith with casual spirit. It matters to us, but there's a lot of other things going on in life. There's just not much desperation to it. And so a few years ago, I was in uh, Kroger. And um, and by the way, it's Kroger, right? It's not Kroger's. If you say Kroger's, I don't mind. I, it's okay with me, but just go to two of them. And <laughs> then it's fine. You can say Kroger's. But otherwise, it's Kroger. There's no S on the end. So I was in uh, Kroger when this mom came up, introduced herself to me, and she was excited because her daughter had made the decision to get baptized. I said, that's, uh, that is awesome. It's a huge decision. When's she going to do that? When's she going to be baptized? And the mom explained that, well, it was uh, volleyball season, and, and she's on a tournament team. And so there are tournaments most every weekend, and they were going to try to fit it in, but she wasn't sure when they'd be able to fit that in. And... And I smiled and I, I said, look, baptism isn't something you, you fit in, right? It's, it's like, uh, and I didn't say this part, but it, it would be like saying to, you know, a bride-to-be, when are you going to get married? Well, I, we're going to try and fit it in there. Well, maybe you should rethink that decision if that's the approach that you have. Or it's like saying to a, uh, a bypass patient, when are you going to have your surgery? I don't know. There's a lot going on. We're going to try to fit it in. It's just, it, it's missing the point, the, the desperation that is a part of making a decision like that. That should be how we, we relate to God, where we cry out and we recognize that we are sinners and He is the one who saves us. That's our only hope for salvation. And so in this series, The Gift of Desperation, we're talking about the fact that there is a gift that God has for us in our desperate moments. So we've traced this theme throughout Scripture, both the Old and the New Testament. We see this theme that God is drawn to the desperate. And in our times of desperation, God has some gifts for us, His presence, His power, but we need to be able to, to see them. We need to be able to receive them. And, and so... Desperation isn't all bad. We might try to avoid it, but if we can embrace what God has for us in it, good things can come from it. And so each week we've looked at a different uh, story and narrative in the Bible uh, from the Old Testament or the New Testament that illustrates the gift of desperation. This week we're in Mark chapter 4, the Gospel of Mark chapter 4, and this is at the end of a long day for Jesus. He's been around crowds. He's been teaching all day. And at the end of this day, in verse 35, here's what we read says, that day when evening came, he said, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Uh, well, other side of what? This is the Sea of Galilee. He says, let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Let's get in this boat and let's, let's head to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took, uh, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. Uh, there were all, also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat, came up over the side so that it was nearly swamped. Meaning that the waves were coming in faster than they could, could bail water. When I read this story, I was uh, reminded of a book that I have on my shelf. It's called um, The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. And they've since turned this book into a, a board game, into a TV show. But in, in this book, each chapter gives you um, some simple steps to escaping some Desperate moments. So one chapter is on how to um, deliver a baby. If you have to deliver a baby in the backseat of a car, how do you do that? 
Another chapter is on how to survive a shark attack. There's one chapter that I think kind of illustrates the approach of the book. It's on how to, how, how to escape uh, uh, from a mountain lion. And, and step number one on how to escape from a mountain lion, in case you ever find yourself in this situation, is do not run. Yeah, good luck with that. Really. I mean, it sounds easy. It sounds easy. Well, like, um, I cannot run. It's, I do it all the time. Like, literally, that's all I do is not run. So I think I could accomplish that step. But while it sounds simple, that's not an easy thing to do, I'm guessing. When there's a mountain lion in your path. Well, step number one. Do not run. If for some miracle you're able to complete step number one, step number two is try to make yourself appear bigger than you are. Okay. So how do you do that? I mean, how do you make yourself appear bigger than you really are? Well, they give some suggestions. So uh, like one of them is that you open up your coats. You try to just look, try to look bigger. Um, they, they also suggest if you have a child with you that you pick the child up and Make yourself look bigger that way. They don't go into detail about how to get said child to comply with the plan. Like, there's, that's not in there. They don't really tell you about the psychological damage you're inflicting upon the child using the child as a, a human shield. But that's the idea, is that you, you, you make yourself bigger. And, and so here's what you find in this book, is there are these, there's these desperate moments and then some very easy steps out of it. Ah, you just do this, 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 this. Problem solved. I think sometimes we take that approach in our faith. I think sometimes we slip into that mentality in church. Some of you have heard these types of things and you've been offended by these types of things where it's just, hey, one, two, three, your problems are solved. Not that easy. It wasn't that easy for the disciples. There was a chapter in that uh, worst case scenario survival handbook on what to do if you're in danger at sea. None of the advice would have helped the disciples. Step number one was getting your lifeboat. They don't have a lifeboat. In fact, the boat that they were in that day was probably about the size of a lifeboat. It was 20, 25 feet long, 8 feet wide, not very big. Step number two, if you're in danger at sea, is to use your emergency flare gun and signal for help. Again, not real helpful, first century for the disciples. Step number three was to use your compass and head for shore. Again, they don't have a compass. And, and so the challenge is you have all these steps, but none of them really work in the context of their desperation. And so it often is with us. We have these desperate moments and we have these ideas that come to us or we talk to es- experts or we read books or we see a counselor or we go to a conference and here's what you do. One, two, three, four, problem solved. And it just almost never works that way. Before you're in that desperate situation, it all sounds great. Right? Like before you're struggling in your marriage, before you have your kids, before it's your health challenge that you're dealing with, before it's your financial crisis, the steps make sense. You take your notes, you listen, you think, okay, well, good. I I can do that. But then the storm comes and the winds come and the waves come and suddenly it feels like nothing you do is working. Nothing you do really seems to be helping. The storm continues to rage. And, and that's where the disciples were. And they, they didn't know what to do. And, and here's what's happening for them. They're getting to see how desperate they are. Like they've seen desperate people. 
They've witnessed that. They've seen Jesus work miracles in the lives of other people who were desperate, but they've never been desperate themselves. And now whatever idea they had that they could control or that they could manipulate or they could fix, it's gone. The storm is, is too severe for them to keep, keep that idea up that now oh, I've got control. Verse 37 describes the storm as a ferocious squall. Um, this is the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, we would probably think of it more as a lake. It's about 13 miles north to south, about eight miles wide east to west. Not that big for being described as a sea. What makes it unique, though, is that the Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. And so you've got these mountains surrounding the Sea of Galilee. It's 700 feet below sea level, and it creates... Um, this tunnel effect. The wind comes off the mountains, hits the sea, and it can go from being completely calm to being a violent storm in a matter of moments. That's what, that's what happens here. It looks fine when they set sail. It looks smooth when they begin. And then it's upon them before they even know what happened. Matthew uses the word, Greek word seismos to describe this storm. It's seismic. It's, how we talk about earthquakes. Waves would have likely been around 8 to 10 feet high. So the storm comes out of nowhere and the disciples are afraid. Now it's significant that they're scared. Because a number of these disciples are fishermen. Right? I mean this is their life. They grew up, they grew up on the water. This is what they learned from their fathers. They know the Sea of Galilee. They've been through their share of storms. And yet they are scared that they're not going to survive it. And they're not going to make it. That tells you something. Uh, sometimes when I, I fly, not very often, but maybe, I don't know, three or four times over the years, I s- sat next to someone who's afraid to fly. don't know if you've ever had that experience, but um, like, I'm sure there are more people than I have known that have been afraid. Of, but some people, they, you know, they can't hide it. I mean, they're just, they're shaking and they're, they're praying. And, um, and, and there's this one lady, I remember... She comes to mind specifically. We're getting ready to take off. Middle-aged lady, never flown before in her life. And we start to take off. And she grabs, I don't know her, don't know her name. You know, she grabs a hold of my forearm. I still have, like, fingernail marks in my arm from where she grabbed it. And one of the things I've told people who are afraid to fly is just watch the flight attendant. Right? Like, if the flight attendant's chill, it's fine. As long as that flight attendant is not panicking and screaming, you're okay. You're all right. Like, if if the... Flight attendant starts yelling and running up and down the aisles, panic, just go. But otherwise, it's okay because, because the flight attendant does this all day. Every day, they, they know. So just, just whatever they feel, that's how you should feel. And, and the disciples, they know storms. They know the Sea of Galilee. They're comfortable on a boat. And yet, they, they know this is different. They know that, that they're at risk. Their boat is um, in danger of of being engulfed by these waves. And verse 38 tells us what Jesus was doing when all this is happening. It says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, not Lord, but teacher, Rabbi, don't you care if we drown? So you you get this picture, right? So they are trying to survive a seismic storm while Jesus is sleeping on a cushion. And some of you are heavy sleepers. Um, But... This seems like another level. They say, I've heard, that they say that a good night's sleep is a sign of a clear conscience. I don't know if that's true. I'm going to vote against it, frankly. But but Jesus here 
maybe, maybe that's it. He's just perfect. So this is, this is how he does sleep. Anywhere, anytime. And he can, he's just sleeping on this cushion. But part of me wonders if he's asleep at all. Like that's what they record because that's what it looked like. Looked like he was sleeping. Do you think maybe he was faking it? I mean, do you think that's possible? Because I, I know as a dad, I, I've done this some. You ever do this, parents, especially when your kids are young? You just pretend to be asleep, partly because you need a break. and But but partly because you're curious to know what's happening when, when they think you're asleep. You're kind of curious about the conversation that's taking place when they think you're sleeping. And so you lay there with your eyes closed, but you're really just kind of paying attention. Part of me wonders if that's what's happening, that Jesus is... Pre- pretending to sleep and he's just overhearing he's listening to the disciples freak out and wondering how long is it going to be until they remember that the guy who spoke the wind and the waves into existence is asleep in their boat how long till that registers because the way they're going to handle this storm and the way they're going to face it in this boat is going to be a lot different if they remember that jesus is is in their boat And one of the things we've talked about in this series is just our need in our desperate moments to pay attention to the presence of God, to look for it, that he is there and he has never been closer. He is near to the brokenhearted. And and so in those moments, we have an opportunity to profoundly experience God's presence and how we, how we handle our storms how we weather those waves uh, changes when we are confident and we know that Jesus is in our boat. Right? And, and so Jesus later would talk to these same disciples about the fact that he was leaving to go to heaven and he knows they're going to be afraid because now he won't be in the boat. I mean, that's what it seems uh, to them, that Jesus is, is not going to be with them. They're still going to have trouble and challenges. So what are they going to do? And Jesus says in, in John 14, verse 18, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone by yourself, defend for yourself. I'm not going to do that. Instead, he, he promises the Holy Spirit, a comforter, verse 26, but the counselor, comforter, um, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give you, I don't give you peace as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. How does the world give peace? The world says peace is uh, outside stuff. Peace is calm waters, smooth sailing. That's how the world gives peace. Jesus doesn't promise any of that. You you will experience storms, but what he promises is his presence, that the Holy Spirit will be there. And the word literally here translated for Holy Spirit, it means to the one who draws up alongside. That's the word. The one who draws up alongside. So when you are standing at a gravesite in a cemetery... He's there, draws up alongside. And when you get a message from somebody you really cared about and they're telling you the relationship is over, the Holy Spirit is the one who draws up alongside in that moment. And when you get that phone call in the middle of the night or you're walking out to your car after being told your services are no longer needed, in in that moment where you feel alone and the storm feels a little out of control and you're not sure if you're going to survive it, the Holy Spirit draws up alongside. He's, he is there with us even more so. He is in us. If you're a follower of Jesus, that presence should make all the difference in how we handle the storms. The, the disciples seem to, to forget that Jesus is in there. But by the time they remember and they ask for help, their cry for help sounds a little bit more like an accusation. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Meaning, you don't care if we drown. 
You don't care if we drown. If you cared, why are we in this situation? Because whose idea was it to come out here? Remember? That was your idea. I mean, don't you have some kind of advanced radar system? Doesn't that come as part of the package? That, that Jesus, you would know that a storm comes. But verse 35, Jesus is the one who says, Hey, fellas, let's get in the boat. Let's go for a night ride. That's, that's Jesus who says that. All they're doing is following him. Jesus is the one who leads them into the storm. Does that sound familiar, maybe? And there's part of us that says this isn't the way it should be. That if I'm following Jesus, then I'm going to avoid the storms. He knows when they're coming. He knows when we should stay on the shore. And so, when that doesn't happen, it's easy to get a little bit... Um, and it's easy to get a little bit disillusioned, partly because some of us grew up being taught this idea, uh, kind of sold this version of Christianity that if you follow Jesus, eh, no storms. Smooth sailing your whole life. That's not in the Bible. And, and when that happens, storms come and we weren't prepared for them. Then we start to feel somewhat betrayed. Jesus isn't holding up his into the deal and our faith gets shaken and, and yet Jesus is the one who said multiple times, you're going to have trouble in this world. You're going to have trouble. You're going to face trials. You're going to have tribulations. I mean, think through this. He calms the storm. We'll see in a moment for these disciples. But later he sends them out, quote, as, wool, as sheep among wolves. Tells them they're going to be beaten with whips. And so, point is, just because Jesus is in your boat doesn't mean that you won't experience any storms. But it does mean you don't go through them alone. And so the disciples, and I think uh, those of us as, as well who are experiencing some kind of storm, reach one of two conclusions. I mean, we kind of live with this tension. Okay, it's got to be one or the other. Either God can help and he doesn't care. That's implied here. Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Surely you can do something, but you don't seem to care. Or God does care, but he can't help. I mean, why, why would we even wake him up? What can he do about it? I mean, he can't help us. And so we live with this tension, and yet here's what we find, is that neither of those things are true. He does care. He can help. But the storm is part of his plan. He leads him into the storm. He allows the storm, however you want to frame that up. But here's what happens in the storm. They see Jesus in a way that they have never seen him before. They experience his presence and they get a front row seat to his power and it changes who they are from this point forward. It changes the faith that they have. They start off saying, teacher, can't you save us? Not anymore. They, they don't call him teacher. They, they'll call him Lord. Because in the storm, they receive some gifts that they just wouldn't have received on the shore. Like Jesus could have tried to give them those gifts on the shore and they wouldn't have been able to receive it. In the storm, they're able to receive these, these gifts. And they get to see who Jesus is. Verse 39 says, He got up, Jesus did, and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the waves, Be be quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Literally, where is your faith? They were terrified and they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And so they get to see who Jesus is. They experience his power. They experience his presence. It changes their faith. It changes who they are. And, and yet it can be difficult for us to, to trust God when there's a storm and it feels like he's taking a nap. 
feels like he's kind of sleeping through it. And yet, consider the possibility that maybe it is a grace disguised. Maybe the storm is his help. Harold Wilkie, I love his testimony. He, he was born with no arms. He grew up, um, and many of the tasks that were natural for other kids were extraordinarily difficult for him. And he tells of a time when he was a boy um, where he was trying to put on a shirt, trying to get a shirt over his head with no arms. And he's on the ground, crying, writhing around, trying to get the shirt over his head. His mom and a neighbor friend are watching from a few feet away. The neighbor friend sees the difficulty this boy is in, says to the mom, why don't you do something to help that boy? There's an accusation in that. You're the mom, you should do something. Why are you letting him do this? And Harold says that his mom stood there with his, her hands tight to her side. And her jaw clenched and she said, I am helping him. Right. I am helping him. It's fighting every instinct in her. Because she knows this is how he needs to be helped. And Jesus can be trusted. The wind and the waves obey him. I, I've, uh, I've never preached on this passage before in this narrative in scripture. I've heard a lot of sermons on it. I remember the lesson, Flanagraph version, as a kid. It seems like most every message I heard on this passage, the preacher always does what I just did. They, they, turn, they turn it into a metaphor. That's okay. Like That's not an illegitimate way to teach or interpret this passage. Hey, there's a storm, and we all face storms, and the storm came up suddenly. Your storms will come up suddenly. Jesus was asleep in the boat. Jesus may seem asleep. In the, boat. the whole thing just turns into this giant metaphor. That's okay. There's some, some truth to that. Jesus uses the storm as a metaphor in, in a parable where he talked about wise and foolish builders experiencing a storm. It's okay to turn that into a metaphor, but, but here's my concern is that we start to think that Jesus has power to heal metaphorical storms, just not actual storms. This isn't a metaphorical storm that we're reading about. This isn't a parable. This happened. This is not a metaphorical storm. It is an actual storm. Point being, he has authority over the real deal, right? He has authority over the wind and the waves. And then it points us to this truth that one day, one day, Jesus will calm the metaphorical storms and the actual storms. They'll all come to an end. See, this is in large part the purpose of miracles in Scripture. They teach us the, the divinity of Jesus, that he was the Messiah, the promised one. They help us with our faith. But, but significantly, the point of the miracles of Jesus is to give us a sneak preview of what is to come. That the day is coming when Jesus will calm all the storms. It, it gives us a glimpse. Now look, look, this side of heaven, you'll have moments. And maybe it's because Jesus calms that storm supernaturally in your life, but there's another one on the horizon. It, it, it is not until this life, this world comes to an end that we will experience, we will really experience that kind of deliverance. 
Philip Yancey talks about this concept, and here's how he puts it. I think this is helpful. He says, to put it mildly, God's no more satisfied with this earth than we are. You don't, you don't like the storms of this, this earth? He doesn't like them either. He, he's not satisfied with it. This isn't, this isn't what he wants. This isn't what his plan was. This is what sin did. And the day is coming when God will set these things right. And he says, Jesus' miracles then offer a hint of what God intends to do about it. And so here's what you have. You have Jesus giving you a glimpse of what he's going to do about it. And, and there will be times, perhaps, where you will experience the power of Jesus in some miraculous way. But ultimately, that miracle is just a glimpse. It's just a glimpse of what he will one day do when he sets things right. See, the word rebuke here is an interesting word because it's, it says he rebukes the wind and the wave. He gets on to them. Gets them in trouble. That's the idea. That's what somebody in authority does. They rebuke. It's the same word that Jesus is used to describe what Jesus did to the demons and the demon-possessed man. He rebuked them. I'm in charge around here. Don't forget your place. I speak, you listen. That's what he does to the wind and the waves. He rebukes them. I'm in charge. I'm your boss. You do what I say. And it is a glimpse of what he will one day do. John talks about this in, in the book of Revelation. He was on the boat that day. He would later write, record Revelation 21 where he describes that. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and there will be no more desperation. None of that. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. I'm making, I'm making everything. The, the desperation's coming to an end. Until then, and as we finish up this series, just a few things. I want to be clear about this. Look, in this life, you will probably have, I mean, it might be few and far between, but you'll probably have some wonderful things happen to you, probably. May not feel like it now, but. And in this life, you, you will have some of your dreams come true, and you will have some of your hopes realized, and, and, and you will have some people who love you, and some, some success will come your way. You'll have some moments where it's just smooth sailing. But it's not all going to be like that. And you will have your share of storms. You will have trouble. And instead of dreams coming true, you will have some nightmares that become reality. And you will experience some disappointment and delusionment. And the person that you thought you could count on, you realize you can't. And you fail and you fall. When you have pain and you know problems, there will be setbacks and suffering. That's true. Let me tell you what else is true if you're a follower of Jesus. And you hang on to this when you're desperate. What else is true is that you are not alone. You're not. You are not alone. He is near to the brokenhearted. He draws. He draws near to the desperate. 
He is close to the crushed in spirit. You have not been rejected, and you will not be abandoned. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You don't have to even go knock on his door. He's knocking on yours. You just open it. You are not alone. Secondly, your storm will come to an end. Storms come. They will come. But they will not last forever. And the day is coming where he will come and he will rebuke. He, he will rebuke disease. And he will rebuke loneliness and rejection. He will rebuke this fallen world once and for all. He will wipe out depression. He will put an end to persecution. He will rebuke pain. And he, he will tell death, you can go to hell. All of that's coming. All of that's coming. And until then, listen here. Until then, we stick together. Until then, this is a shelter where you can come when the storm rages. And this is a church. Make no mistake about it. People around you might not look it. But this is a church of desperate people for desperate people. This is a church where you can come when you have nowhere else to go. Some of you need to hear that right now. Others of you may not even care that much now. But my guess is the day will come when you will. So you remember what I'm saying. We love you now. We'll love you then. And we're going to go through this together until the day comes when the heavens will disappear with a roar. And everything on earth will be laid bare. And Jesus will rebuke. This fallen world. Let's pray. God, I pray that, um, I pray that we could experience your presence and your power together, even now. God, that you would not let us run from the desperation, but you would allow us uh, to embrace this moment where we have an opportunity to experience some gifts that you want to give us. And God, I know there's some people who walked in here alone. Would you just not let them walk out here feeling the way they did when they came in? Would, would you just let them know that you are near to them? And God, there are some people who came in here and they're afraid. They are terrified because it feels like the storm is overtaking the boat. And, and would you let them know, God, that you have power? And would you let them put their trust in you? And Lord, would you help all of us not put our hope in this world. We will be disappointed. One storm is calmed, the next one will come. Ultimately, God, we put our hope in the day when you will return and you will make all things new. It's in Jesus' name, amen. And so what we want to do in these um, next few minutes, we've allowed a little extra time, is we, we just want to have a time to pray as a church. So one of the things that we're going to have here is we're just going to have some of our elders and, and their spouses and some of our ministry staff and their spouses are going to come down front. So if that's you, if you're an elder, if, you'll, uh, if you're with your spouse or if you come down front here, if ministry staff and spouses, go ahead and come down front um, right now. And, and we would like just to, to pray for you if you need prayed for before you leave here. Um, we, we would love to have the opportunity to pray for you. I know that takes some vulnerability, right? It, 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 it takes some courage to step up and say, yeah, you know what, I, I need some prayer. But, but this is what happens. We cry out to God and God hears our cries. And so we, we want to we pray for you if, if you need some prayer. 
And together we're just going to worship God. We're going to cry out to Him. And um, if you want to talk to someone about your relationship with Jesus, or, or maybe you're ready to become a part of this church family, instead of coming down front, you can go to the first step room. It's, it's on the first floor. It's over to your left over here. And uh, we'll be glad to meet you back there. Otherwise, if, if you need to be prayed for, come on down. Let's stand. Let's cry out. Let's worship our great God.